Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Thank you for listening to episode 125. Today I have a guest I'm pretty excited about. Uh, this dude, his government name is Pasqual Lozano, a.k.a. Paco. Paco, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good, sir. It's actually not this morning. It's this afternoon, isn't yeah. it? It's 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Yes, it is. You've been working all day. You, you good, man? Oh, yeah. When it's Friday, I leave early. You know the thing that I love the most about Paco? Sean, are you, you wake over there? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just pushing the buttons like you're paying me for. Sean, Sean the thing that I love the most about Paco is. is he doesn't know how good of a dude he is. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever met somebody that's just a really good guy, but he doesn't realize that he's just such a good guy? Every day in the mirror. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, um, clinical <laughs> note. Sean Denovan displays characteristics of narcissism. Just kidding. Um, yeah, no, Paco's a really good dude. I, I'm excited to have you on here, Paco. Um, kind of get your story, right? Spread a little message of hope. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited, man. So let's start off today just kind of to warm up. What's new and good, man? What's new and good in your life? Well, I have an anniversary coming up, you know, be one year married. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think I was ever going to get married, you know, <laughs> you know, the past I was leading, it didn't seem to me. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, I mean, uh, married to a wonderful woman. Talking you know, about Christy. Yeah. I have the a- opportunity. AKA to w- Troop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am blessed to be able to work with Christy. She's pretty amazing. You're a lucky guy, Paco. She's a lucky gal. Oh, thank you. Yeah. She has her own story of recovery. Is that how you guys met? Oh, yeah. Is it really? Wow. In the rooms, you were 13 stepping, or what was. What, what oh, was actually. <laughs> what was the situation? Was Facebook with that? stepping. <laughs> Facebook? Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. I got a wrong. I got a hold of the wrong girl, and then somehow God sent me to her. And the next thing you know, look, I'm here. Yeah, you're married a year later. Yeah, well, five years later, or four, four years later. But you got married a year ago, so your yeah. your one year anniversary is coming up. Yeah, Monday. That's awesome, man. That's way awesome. We have that in common. So I've been married now for two, I've known my wife for a number of years, just like you and Christy. Um, but our so this is my new and good. And it rolls right in with yours. Right. Our two-year anniversary is coming up on the 14th of, of this month. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's my new and good. Yeah, buddy. There we go. A little fist pump action. Sean, you got an anniversary coming up? Well, yeah, a uh, 10. 10. 10 years on w- when, though? Uh, like six months from now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But yeah. I said tell people, <laughs> you know, it's 10, but it only feels like four minutes underwater. So... <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Uh, luckily, your wife doesn't listen to this, so you can get away with those Oh, no. Jokes. I tell that joke in front of her. It's fantastic. Do that, you really? That's why we're still married, because she, she, she has a great sense of humor. We can make jokes like that. <laughs> that's awesome. It's awesome. It's also, uh, yeah, if you go missing, I'll know who to, right? It's it's the wife. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. She got tired oh, of those jokes. Oh, yeah, she yeah, just yeah, yeah. She you just off. bought a bunch of shovels at Home Depot. I'm not sure why. <laughs> well, it is gardening season. It is gardening. <laughs> yeah, Paco's like, what are you, what are you paranoid about, man? It's gardening season. Sean, what's your new and good? What you got? What you uh, got going on? Oh my gosh, I have a, so much happening. Anyway, my wife's birthday this weekend. Nice. So cool. we're gonna do, we're gonna go see Penn and Teller and do the Vegas thing. And then uh, my son is coming home from his Mormon mission, so I'm driving up to Washington State to pick him up. The state of Washington. So and nice. then so a whole lot of driving on the road the next ten days or so. So a lot of adventure here and there. So I'm kind of excited about that. Nice man, you're going to be here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, man. Just I a, am everywhere, everywhere, man. On the everywhere. road again. <laughs> I am. Just everywhere. can't wait to get on the road again. Oh, I don't. I'm getting sick of the road, man. Are you so sick of it? Oh. So we only do these podcasts like every other week in the summer now because Sean is in such high demand. He's always on the road again. Yeah, you know, I got my, my side gigs. You know, you, I know, man. You can't have one job in life. You have to have like five. He's a hustler. Right. That's what I do. Right. Yeah. 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 Paco can relate. He's a hustler too. All right. So um, we really appreciate the sponsorships of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Let's get into them. Episode 125 is brought to us by. High Desert Counseling. 
High Desert Counseling is a progressive substance abuse treatment facility with a practical approach. They offer day treatment, morning and evening IOP, continuation of care, and Prime for Life programs. Check out their website at highdesert.help or call them at 435-673-2899. Their facilities are located in St. George in Cedar City, Utah. Episode 125 is also brought to us by Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic supplement line aimed at optimizing brain function and supporting mental health. They have two powerful blends. Mindful Mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. Mind Shift helps increase focus and optimize brain function. Place your order today at riseupsups.com. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S dot C-O-M. At checkout, punch in podcast 20 to save yourself 20% off your entire purchase today. Paco, you got a little experience with the supplements, right? Oh, yeah. You're rocking the t-shirt today, Rise Up Supplements t-shirt. Yeah, they, they work. You know, uh, I like the one for, you know, anxiety because I get a lot of anxiety. Okay. And I had to put up with a lot of things. So The mindful mood? You like yeah. the mindful mood? I want to be in a good mood when I'm working. I like that. <laughs> before, before, I used to hit my hand with a hammer. Without that, now I don't, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a little bit more relaxed and chill. Yeah. I tell people, honestly, this is honestly, okay? I take two of the mindful mood in the morning every single day. Like the blue formula is my staple formula. Now, if I'm having a day that I have to get a lot done, I'm task saturated. I got things to do. I'll do two of the red ones because that one's like my go get it done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, have, you've taken the red ones before, right? You know, I do it different. I take both of them in the morning. Do you together? Yeah. Okay. But you know, I might try what you're saying, you know, maybe I'll do two reds and then maybe one in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of mix it up, see what what uh what I get out of it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. I just figured I'd roll you into the sponsorship mention because right. I know that, that you've tried the supplements, you like the supplements, I appreciate you repping it. So Paco, we've kind of uh got all the you nerves out, hopefully. Oh, mostly, yeah. Mostly my nerves out, right? I'm feeling relaxed now. How are you doing over there? Are we doing okay? I forgot to take my uh, moodful one. <laughs> your mindful mood? Mindful one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're on a podcast about recovery from addiction, which tells me that you're a person in long-term recovery, yes? Yeah. What's your recovery date? Well, my clean date is September 26, 2019. Nice, man. Nice. Coming up on four years then. Yeah, like in a couple months. Nice. You're a hop, skip, and jump away from four years. So let's get that story. Where does that story begin, right? Because like, I'm sure you aren't always this put together, sharp looking gentleman sitting right here a year married. Like, where does your substance abuse start? Okay, well, I'm going to go back to like, uh, like my childhood and then from there, you know, bring yeah, it, you know. Uh, sure. Just you do know, me a favor. Get a little closer to the mic. There you go. All right. So, you know, I grew up with a family of five siblings. I'm the sixth one. So, and we grew up in Ventura County. I was born in Tijuana, you know. Tijuana, so, Mexico. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. And, you know, that's where my genes from partying, you know, I got adapted from that area. So, uh, so you know, my whole life, I always... You say my genes from partying. Are you talking <laughs> about, like, the genetic yeah. component to to addiction? To yeah, for, for me, you know, because that's... All around me, everybody's partying. It's it's It was normal. So it could be part genetics, part culture, or social influence. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, what was I going to do? Nobody else was, you know, playing, you know, going to play softball or soccer or, or doing or hiking, dude. They were just... Drinking beer and, you know, doing whatever. Right. So, and, you know, I experimented, you know, liked it, so I stuck with it. At what age? I think, uh, well, first I smoked a cigarette when I was like 10. Okay. And then from there, you know, I kind of experimented at 13, you know, I started smoking a little bit of weed. And then from there, I just jumped to like occasionally, like at 14, I kind of did a little bit of cocaine. And from there, it just, from cocaine, it just blew up. You know, I was doing that for like 10 years. Then it jumped on, jumped on to, uh, you know, meth, when I was like, uh, I think 28, and after that, just been all meth. No more beer, n nothing, it just went straight meth, and everything just was horrible. Dude, it transformed my life bad. So, let's slow that down a second. That is an amazing, right? Like, whew, you just gave me a whole landscape of, of substance abuse history, which I love, and thank you. 
I really appreciate that you started off with a cigarette at age 10. Here's why. I go and I speak at high schools to do education pieces, right? And I always ask the high school kids, I say, what is the number one abused substance in the United States? And people throw out methamphetamine, heroin, marijuana, right? Nope, nope, nope. The number one abused chemical in the United States is tobacco. Yes. But not a lot of people know that, and it surprises them. And I like to, you know, fool the high school kids who think they know everything. So that's always my my little like inside. I'm I'm feeling joy as they get it wrong, right? But yeah. it is to, uh, nicotine is the derivative from tobacco. That's a mind altering substance. So at ten years old, you s- smoked your first cigarette. Would you say that through that, the next few years was it like? Kind of sounded like it was more recreational use, and then the methamphetamine. Once that kicked in, that was like dependency. Yeah, you know uh, this. Well, I'm gonna go back to the cigarette. So I stole the pack from my dad. I hid behind a tree around okay. the, around uh, an elementary because the school was right in front. And so I ran the corners a little bush. I hid. Me and the buddy were smoking. I got lightheaded. I, I that triggered me. I liked it, and you know, you know, from there, like you said, then goes the next substance and another. Do you remember Paco at 10? Do I you did. remember Paco at 10? Yeah. Like, why a cigarette? What, what was so interesting about it? You know, my dad smoked. Okay. So, you know, and then you see it on TV. It looks glamorous, right? Yeah. You know, sure. in the 80s, everybody was smoking cigarettes. It looked cool. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. So you also just kind of dated yourself. How old are you there, Paco? <laughs> I'm 44. <laughs> okay. Okay. So growing up when you were around 10, it was in the 80s. Yeah. So you were used to seeing the advertisements on TV. Joe Camel. Oh, yeah. Sean Denovan, you're kind of you're kind of an older cat. Do you remember Joe Camel on TV? Actually, I remember when they said no more uh, cigarette commercials on TV. That was a huge thing. There was like a big thing, I want to say mid-80s, and they said no more, no more television advertisements for tobacco. So old Joe Camel was just on the billboards. Got yeah. By that point, well, yeah. apparently in Tijuana he was still on TV. <laughs> well, right? Tijuana. I mean, hey, I, I don't know, man. Well, yeah. Well, I didn't. I wasn't living in Tijuana, but you know, I was. I brought here. I was brought here when I was one. Oh, really? Yeah. So my whole, you know, I was here one. I'm pretty much an American, but you know, I was born over there. Paco, that messed me up, and I apologize. <laughs> no, no I worries. thought you meant you grew up in Tijuana. Okay, okay. So you were born in Tijuana. Yeah. And brought you came to the United States when you were one years old. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Now I'm on track, buddy. Now I got my timeline <laughs> down. So where did when you moved to when your parents, to be fair, moved to the United States, did they come to Utah? Uh, no, they went to Ventura, California. They went to Ojai. That's okay. where you know I grew up. So they went to LA, then they went to Ojai, and then for Ojai stayed there for like thirty years. Got you. Yeah. Okay. And that's where you experienced the culture of people were drinking every day and yeah smoking pot and all the different chemical abuse that that you described yeah okay all right so take take me to about like i don't everybody i feel like here's the thing that a lot of people i'm gonna get real geeky for a minute the thing a lot of people don't understand or they have the misconception of there's a difference between substance use and substance abuse does that make sense and let me kind of break that down for a minute Naturally, most people that don't understand the disease of addiction, they go, well, wait a minute. I had a few beers in college and I smoked some pot in college or high school and I didn't become addicted. It's not a disease. It's just willpower. You just got to have enough willpower, right? And what they're talking about is recreational use. Does that make sense? They're, They're talking about kind of like experimental, recreational. At that point, it hasn't become a physical dependency, right? Yeah. Um, which, which is common for a lot of people. Now, why does it become a physical dependency for some people and some people not? That's a great question. If we could figure that out, we'd all be millionaires, right? I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, culture, influence. I see Sean grabbing for his mic. Do you want to jump in on this? All right. He's waving me off. Um, a lot of it has to do with that genetic component that you talked about. Are you familiar with in your family? Was there like dad, grandpa, his, his great grandpa, was there uh, substance abuse? Uh, yeah, a lot. Okay. You know, my mom only drinks maybe like maybe a teaspoon of beer and that's it. Okay. My dad drank, but when we were born, he stopped. So he, he literally, there was no meetings for him or anything. He just literally cold turkey and, and kept working, didn't do anything. Do you think that he drank like socially or do you think that he was like an alcoholic? 
I think he drank socially. Yeah. See, and there's the difference, right? Yeah. Uh, and like you were saying, so, and yeah, on my other part of the family, mom's side, yeah, there's, uh, you know, uncles that died under the influence of meth, heroin, alcohol, you know, you name it, you know, and I have brothers right now in active use. It's, it sucks. Yeah. You know, and. You know, I mean, I'm just, you know, just trying to show that, hey, man, come on, try to follow my steps, you know. I know I can't force them, but, you know, hopefully they can see, you know what, that guy's changing, maybe we can. Yeah, yeah, you're being a great example to him. And I appreciate you letting me kind of explain the difference, because there is, right? There is kind of a difference, and I think that's why a lot of people don't really understand it or can't get their head around it, is because they have their little experimental days, and they think, you know, so then they have a family member that can't stop because they're actually, they're dependent at that point. And so they, they draw on their own experiences and go, well, I was able to just stop. Well, okay, you probably use socially or recreationally, right, versus somebody that it became a literally an everyday type of deal. So, Well, you know, between 16 and 18, I thought I could use socially, and it, it turned out to be not socially. <laughs> yeah, let's go there. So, so Paco is 16 or 18. Where are you living at the time? Oh, I'm still living at Mom's. Okay, still living at mom's in California. Yeah, you know, I graduated. I went to college. I did. I did everything normal. You know, mm -hmm. that's why I said I was drinking and I was using drugs. You know, uh, so socially, pretty much. Right. You know, I I went to work. I did everything. You know. Next thing you know, you know, after I turned twenty one, I moved to the East Coast for like a year with a different girl. You know, I thought I was gonna get married. You know, I left for a girl. So okay, I moved out to the East Coast. Problems happened, came back, and I went back to the same old routine. And next thing you know, I'm abusing drugs. I wasn't even mm. hanging out with the same people. I'm just going to the dope dealer. That's very interesting to me. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. And I don't want to get too much into it, right? Like, share as much or as little as you're comfortable with. This is your episode, Paco. But I truly believe, and there's no scientific evidence behind this, but this is the theory of Jared we're talking about. I think a lot of people move from that social or recreational or experimental to daily use because they start using in a way of self-medication, a coping skill, right? You've heard people say the parakeet talk, right? Of like, yeah. drugs weren't my problem. Drugs were my solution until they became the problem, right? Yeah. So that's that's where this kind of applies. And I'm not making fun of him because it totally makes sense when they say it. Like the first time I heard that, I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. So do you think that it was because of the problems that happened in that relationship that you started leaning heavier into the substance abuse? Well, I'm going to go a little deeper, you know. Uh, yeah, let's do it. When I was 10... And I, I already shared this before to a lot of people. So, yeah, you know, I was molested. Okay. And I think that was one of the biggest factors. I didn't know for a long time until I actually got in trouble and went to drug court, you know. Right. I did EMDR, did a lot of therapy, and and that was a kicker right there. I was like, whoa, dude, I was like, really? Because you'd never addressed that. Yeah, because I never, I didn't say I didn't say nothing to nobody. Right. I kept it to myself, you know, you know oh, I'm not going to tell no one. I'm just going to. You know, cover it up with drugs, beer, weed, whatever, you know. Numb it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, eventually they're telling me, well, what are you doing wrong? You know what you're doing wrong is you're not telling us what your problem is so you can let it out. So I was like, mm -hmm. okay. So that's what EM EMDR did, you know. It was the, When you said, go back to when you were 10, yeah. you know, I took EMDR like two years ago, and I was like, whoa, dude, that really worked. Crazy. I feel a little bit better, you know. The more I let it go, it's just it, my life becomes easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the more that you can find acceptance around, like, I think a lot of people when they have, and thank you, man. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. First oh, of all, yeah. that's like, oh my gosh, sincerely. Thank you. Um, when people can talk about it, like you just talked about it in a way that's not shameful, it's, it's actually pretty brave. Right. And they realize that, listen, I didn't do anything wrong as a 10 year old, that shame and, and that that's not on me. That's somebody else's deal. Right. Like, you can't view me poorly because of an experience that happened to me. I was 10 years old, right? And once you find acceptance in that, the healing starts. Yeah. Well, you know, and I did shame myself for a long time. I was oh, you know, yeah, what? We don't all say do, anything, bro. you know. Well, he go, hey, I'm in, you know, don't say anything. I'm going to beat you up. Right. We all do. And I get scared. I got scared when I was 10. I thought, oh, whatever. I'm not going to say nothing. My dad would have done something bad. So, <laughs> right. You know, we're serious. So yeah. I didn't say nothing. I came in my ship or to like, you know, I got into drug court and that's when. The miracle happened. Right. Finally let go. I was like, oh, dude, I feel better. 
Yeah. Holy cow, Paco. I'm loving this, right? Because <laughs> it, it really is like it, man, the theory of Jared once again has kind of come, come around and I appreciate you going right. there and being willing to take a look at it. Right. Because a oh, lot yeah. of times it is that emotional piece that we are unwilling to talk about. We're unwilling to share that's eating us up inside and we're trying to escape through some type of substance, fill in the blank. So at 16, you go out back, you go to the East coast, you come back home, start partying harder, right? Well, actually it was when I was 21. Okay. Okay. I apologize for the timeline. <laughs> so what did, what did life look like at 21, Paco? Oh, a lot of nightclubs, you know, a lot of hangovers. Okay. I did manage to pass one year of uh, college, and after that, you know, just like, I just kept partying and, you know, going to work, late, getting fired, you know, the same old routine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh, what do they call it? Insanity? Oh, yes. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah, I know yeah. the routine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I managed to stay in that routine for 28-something years. <laughs> <laughs> it, the habits are a thing, man. You know what I mean? The, I've been reading this really good book. Uh, uh, anyways, it's not it's not relevant. But um, Atomic Habits, and it's a really good book. But habits are a thing. So it sounds like for 28 years you were just kind of in that habit. Yeah. So at 21, you start partying, a lot of hangovers, a lot of stuff like that. The methamphetamine use takes over. What is life? How does life progress from that point? Well, I got really, you know, lost cars, relationships, you know, parents dying left and right. Are you working at this time? Because typically methamphetamine, a lot of people take it because they tell the story they tell their self or that the chemicals are telling them, right, is I, I can get more done. I'm more productive. I, I get paid more money when I'm taking this chemical. Well, I was a functional user, supposedly. Sure, <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. Did you believe that, though? Did you believe in yeah, that I, methamphetamine lie? I looked in the mirror and I totally believed it. Okay. You know, and until I got fired, then I was like, okay, maybe something's going on here. Mm. I did try to seek help, like, prior in those years, you know, between 30 and 35, you know, in that time span, you know. And I said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to keep doing it. And are you still in California at this time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm in, like, Palmdale, Bakersfield, you know, very nice end areas. Yeah. Yeah. So you got fired. Did they tell you why? Did they tell you because it, you were using drugs? Well, well, I fired myself. They wanted me to go drug test, and I walked out. <laughs> okay, so they saw the symptoms of your yeah. disease, wanted you to provide a, a urine sample, and you refused. Yes. Okay. Okay. Where does it go from there, man? Well, and then I also was partying with my uncle. He he worked at a plastering company in Santa Barbara, so I'd be working with him, too. Mm. I know he'll let me, you know, so... I'd be working with him, you know, partying with him, staying up there, you know, staying up over on the weekends, you know, in Santa Barbara on State Street, you know. So it's um, so getting, getting, <laughs> having to provide a urine sample from an employer and losing your job wasn't a wake up call for you, right? Which I I get it, right? A lot of us, it's not. Um, you just switched gears and just started working for your uncle and just kept the lifestyle the same. Yeah, because I knew he would let me, you know, drink. Sure. He'll, let me, he'll let me do dope. He'll let me do whatever, you know. And I, you, you know how we're, we're addicts, you know, we're going to go with the next guy that, you know, is going to help us. Yeah. So uh, so that's what I did. So I just switched gears, you know. Like they say, you know, you can't replace one for another. So I just kept, you know, replacing my jobs with another job mm. that, you know, allowed me to do what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it, man. So it, at what point were you kind of, is this at the first part of your substance abuse or are we getting kind of, Towards the rock bottom. I know your rock bottom. You've shared your rock bottom with me. Yeah. And it's it literally is like a rock bottom by the river rock bottom, right? Yes. Yes. So we're, we're it, how are we close to that, man? I, oh, my timelines. So you're in California working for your uncle. We got about a minute here, and then we're gonna go into part two. Okay. Yeah. So you know, I've been working with my uncle, and uh, at that time. You know, we, I don't know what he tells me. He goes, hey, you know what? One day, actually, I woke up and I called him, hey, uh, I can't come in. I'm hungover. Mm. Yeah, well, well, you know what? You're not going to come next week. I was like, wait a minute. After a guy that said I could go in, you know, do whatever I want to do, be as high as I want, you know, and, you know, I kind of had a resentment. So I quit and went to a different place. You know, I got mad at him. And also there's some other legal deals going on. Right. You know, but yeah. 
So that's kind of like Prairie Park is a Prairie Park wood. Got you. Got you. It's crazy. The stuff that we do, right? It's everybody oh. else's problem. It's never our problem. Right? That uncle of yours, how dare he, right? <laughs> how dare he? All right, we're going to get back to Paco and his story leading up to a rock bottom that literally is has some rocks down by the river in part two of episode 125. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rice of Supplements, and the Hilton Garden Inn. High Desert Counseling is an adult outpatient substance abuse treatment facility. We offer multiple services including day treatment, morning and evening intensive outpatient services, continuing care, and Prime for Life. What makes us different is our emphasis on gathering all of the information before enrollment. We do this by offering a thorough evaluation by a credentialed professional. Once we have committed to you and you have committed to us, don't worry, insurance will not dictate your treatment. Lastly, the pretzel effect. We are a brief intervention where we connect our clients to community, mental health, and medical professionals to help maintain recovery for life after treatment. At High Desert Counseling, we strive to be the bridge from active addiction to recovery, community, and connection. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Welcome back to part two of episode 125, everybody. Just real quick before we get rocking and rolling here, let's acknowledge our sponsors, the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Type in Hilton Garden in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. The staff's always great. It's always so clean in there. They're fantastic. They're actually, they've been for years doing the NA convention in down here in Southern Utah, right? Sparkna. Oh, yeah. For years, it's been held at the Hilton Garden Inn. So we love the Hilton Garden Inn. Oh, yeah. They're my favorite. They're our people, man. They, they, yeah, we love them. We love them. So show them some support. We love to support people that support us. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, we're in this together, so let's show them some support. While we're talking about support, I also just want to take a quick minute and give a shout out to um, my co-host, Dr. Terry Sellers. Uh, he's not here today. He wasn't here last week. That's usually not a big thing because he only comes down usually every other week, but particularly at this point in time, he got sick. He's been like super sick. He's Apparently, he's been in bed for like a week. I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know. <laughs> I called uh, Melody, his, his sweet wife, and said, what's going on with, with Doc? Is he dying on me? And think trying to be funny, kind of a smart aleck, right? And she's like, he's actually the worst I've ever seen him. And then I started feeling real bad, right? Like, oh, my gosh. Like, um, So thoughts and prayers go out to Dr. Sellers. I hope he gets feeling better. Uh, apparently, she thinks that he just went out golfing and was on the golf course too long. It's been hot lately. Oh, yeah. May have gotten some heat stroke, dehydrated. I don't want to give all of his medical stuff here on you know, on the podcast, but, (laughs) but the doc's not doing too hot these days because of how hot it is. Somebody save me. Um, so we just want to send some thoughts and prayers out to the, to doc sellers. Let's get back into, uh, your story, Paco. So right off the bat, man, I just genuinely appreciate how vulnerable and how like open and, and authentic you've been so far. So you're working in California for your uncle. He, and I love it, right? Because you, you said it in the mind frame of so many of us when we're in active addiction, right? Like, how dare he? He knew that I was doing this stuff. Yeah. But also from the outside looking in, like, think about that. Like, it got so bad that your own uncle was like, bro, I can't, you can't work for me. Do you think about that for a second, right? Like, does that in reflection kind of show you like just how deep the depths of addiction got for you? Yeah, and then did you know? Uh, kind of made me mad, but you know what? I did something really bad. You know, uh, I I told here sign this sign this paperwork. Do me a favor. I want to get a car, and you know, and you know, then I'll find a different job. And he was kind enough. He did that, and then you know, me being the addict, mm. I took the car. I already knew I had warrants, and cops were looking for me in Cali. I ended up. Uh, 
traveling this way. I was on my way to Ogden, actually. To Ogden, Utah? Yeah, my brother lives out there, so I was going to go, you know, see what's up with him. Ah. Somehow I got stuck here in St. George, you know. <laughs> I ran out of gas at uh, the Motel 6 on the boulevard. Okay. And uh, that's where, you know, things happen for me here. You know, I got stuck in that hotel, met the wrong people. So well, you, actually, there were the right people, just the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> so you, the, your connection to Utah then from Tijuana, California, now Utah, is you had a brother living in Ogden, Utah. And for those yeah. of us, we have a lot of downloads, a lot of listeners from out of state. Ogden, Utah is a city in northern Utah. We are in St. George, Utah, which is a city in southern Utah. They're about, what would you say, five, six, yeah. four, five, six hours You go hours really away. fast, you get there in four hours. Yeah, they have a great point, right? <laughs> you don't take any bathroom breaks and you yeah. put the pedal to the metal, you get there in four hours. If you're driving conservatively, probably five. Yeah. Um, okay. So you break it, you ran out of gas. Yep, ran out Motel of gas. Motel six. That's the guy that works there. He's a manager and you know, I got a lot of handyman skills, so I told hey, you need a handyman. He goes, Yeah. He got me a job really quick. So I ended up staying there. And uh, you know, then you know, that's when the miracle of of being in this they, you know, started happening. I started meeting all the, you know, the people that were my people, you uh-huh. know, uh, and I still know them, you know, and now, you know, most of them are clean and it's way cool. Okay. So you started meeting people in recovery. Well, an active addiction here. Oh, at the time they were in active addiction. Yeah. So here, let me, I'm going to start up. When I got here in St. George, you know, I went, I was at Motel 6. I still haven't met my wife yet at the time. Okay. So uh, I'm going to kind of speed it up on this part. What, what year? You don't have to speed up, man. We got 20 minutes. What year oh. was this? Uh, this is 2017. Okay. So actually I was at Motel 6 and, uh, you know, I was working there as a handyman, you know, doing, you know. Odd end jobs. Yeah. Well, doing whatever they want for me. Sure. You know, whatever they want. Uh, so I asked, you know, finally I saw some guys, hey, man, you know where I can get some stuff? He goes, yeah. Go to my rooms. He had a room there, so. Next thing you know, I met one person, then I met another guy, then another person. Next thing you know, things started, you know, down going down a spiral. I brought my ex-girlfriend at the time, and she left back to Cali. I ended up stuck here by myself, and, you know, I got—I was codependent, so I needed her there, you know, so I went on a really sick one. Got you. Got you. So, again, you leaned kind of into the substances instead of seeking some type of help. Yeah, I guess the substances were— where my help for a long time. Yeah, self-medication, man. It happens every day. Yeah. Okay, so so you're working in the Motel 6. Weird. You can get drugs anywhere, even in little St. George, Utah back in the time, right? I mean, it's still not very big, but okay, so you're you're doing the deal. What happens from there? You know, uh, I ended up going on, you know, on a little drug run with somebody, let them borrow my car. My car got... Got impounded because they got pulled over, mm. and now I'm carless. So you weren't actually with them. You just loaned them your car. Yeah. Got you. And, you know, I don't know what they were doing, but, you know, I didn't have insurance. You know, typical sure. addict. Somebody else's license plate on it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so at that point, you know, I still working at the hotel. That's a good thing. But so I had to find another means and ways to get around town. So I finally ended up getting a car. And I ended up getting pulled over in Dixie Downs, you know, at the McDonald's. Mm. After dropping a friend off, you know, I was trying to get back to the hotel, and that wasn't happening. Got so it. I ended up going to Purgatory for like 30 days. I thought it was like, Kelly, you know, oh, you're out the next day. And no, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> Welcome to Utah. Right. <laughs> what now, it? listen, though, what did they, what did they, I mean, what did you go to jail over? Right? Because they just pulled you over. Is it because you didn't have a license? Because well, it, like, insurance? What? Uh, well, did you have dope on you? Yeah. Oh, I did. so I, possession of a controlled substance. Okay. Well, it was a it was a piece, but it was all clean. But either way, it's oh. still paraphernalia. There was some little bit of residue. Yeah, in it. So they got me with that, and you know, I went over there for like thirty days. Then got out of got out of jail. I tried to go to my own place. I got kicked out. You know, I was like, Motel Six was like, "You're not coming back, huh?" Yeah, oh. I'm done. You know, so then I'm homeless at that point. You know. So I ended up going to Switchpoint, which is Switchpoint is a really good place. You know, they helped me out big time. Yeah, we've had the founder of Switchpoint, um, Carol Hollowell, 
on this podcast. She nice. is an amazing individual. So you went to, and that is our homeless shelter here in Southern Utah. It's yeah. called Switchpoint. They do amazing stuff there. Okay. Yeah. So if anybody wants to go to Switchpoint, dude, I recommend it. You know, you got nowhere to go. That place is awesome. They're incredible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I went to Switchpoint. Was there? They helped me try to, you know, get a bus pass. They got me a bike I could borrow. So it was. So I was biking around, you know, finding a little bit of money. Then, and I ran into another person that, at this point, you know, that's when I, well, actually, I got arrested, I, I got arrested again over in Washington, uh, when I was running that bike from Switchpoint, I got pulled over, I was just popping wheelies, because, you know, nothing else to do. Just on your bike? Yeah. Not even a motorbike, like no, a just, pedal bike? Yeah, I was okay. popping a wheelie, but I looked suspect, so okay. they arrested me. They're like, well, you have no ID, so... Make things matters worse. I have no ID, so they end up, you know, ICE got a hold of me. Oh, okay. So, because I didn't have an ID or right. and my green card, I lost it. So it was it was kind of funny and not funny, you know. <laughs> so they they took you as an illegal because you didn't have proper identifications. Yeah, ICE gets involved. What a mess, man. Oh, dude, it was. I was like, okay, dude, this is like. And you're still actively using it this time. Yeah, I'm not caring still. And just to clarify, you're a citizen now, right? I mean, like, right? So that's yeah. all been taken care of, right? Well, I'm We're still waiting. Trying... I'm waiting on one paper. That's all. And but you're going through the proper channels. Yeah, right? yeah, you're doing the deal. Okay, so but at the time you get caught up in that net, you get caught up in that mess. Yeah, it's like you don't care. Ugh. You know, I, I've, I've been with no ID, driving with no license for like 20 years. I got my first DUI in 2002. Which that's a scary thought in and of itself. Yeah, and <laughs> okay. then I got then I got another one the following year. So after that, I never had a license for till now. Got you. So I'm in the works, you know, it's, it's getting there. Got I keep my you. fingers crossed. Man, you're doing the deal. Pac's going legit, man. Paco's yeah. going legit. Okay. So at some point when, when I met you and we've kind of shared exchange stories and connected, you talked to me about a point in time where you were living, not even with the van, you were just living Cause you've seen that, right? That joke that, uh, Chris Farley living in a van down by the river Yeah. skit, you didn't even have the van. You were just living down by the river. At what point did that happen? That's, uh, well, after I got arrested and got sent to ICE detention over in Pahrump, I got out, and this where you know, I met I met my wife, you know, through the internet, you know, because mm-hmm. I was I was trying to hook up with the same person, you know, her name was Christy, and I was just trying to call this Christy, but it was a different Christy. <laughs> that was just, you know, my brain was all fogged up. Oh yeah. So yeah. God did that for a reason. That's you know? higher power stuff, man. Right. You know. So. Uh, so me and her end up, you know, hooking up, and actually it was a meat fridge. It wasn't a van. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, it was like a, I don't know where this, my friend had this fridge in her backyard. I need a place to crash, and so yeah, do whatever you want in there. Actually, some other Mexican guy was living in there. I kicked him out. You know, it was, it was kind of not cool, but, you know, I'll make my amends when I see him. There you go. <laughs> so you were living in a meat fridge. Yeah. And I hooked it up. Christy had her own little beauty spot over here. I had a bed made out of wood. Like a cut-out fan, you know, so air could come in because it was so hot So you're in there. talking about one of those, like, uh, commercial size. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know the Rocky Balboa was Not boxing like, in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like one that you'd have in your garage outside. No, no, this no, thing no, was no. big. Yeah. A walk-in meat fridge. Okay, okay. <laughs> Dude, there's no story like Paco's story. I love it. All right, let's keep going, man. Yeah, so uh, yeah, me and Christy lived there for... What? At least six, seven months, you know. Then we're you're just too hot. We just get out of here. So I got out of there. I got a job at at a different hotel, you know. And uh, but at that point, I'm you know I'm still doing the same thing, you know. With still doing dope. Yeah, I'm still yeah. running a mug. Yeah. You know, cashing checks. You know, finally I got caught. You know, it was mm. it was kind of not cool because they blasted my face all over Facebook. You know, oh look at this guy making fake checks. I was like, I didn't even make it. I just catched it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, and, and next thing you know, I got, you know, uh, what is that, a uh, task force looking for me. Oh, man. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, it was funny, but not funny. You know, the, the guy. We can look back and laugh. It's yeah. totally okay today. <laughs> the, the, the amazing person you are sitting in that seat, it's okay to look back and laugh at yourself, right? Because you wouldn't do that stuff today. Right. Yeah. I so, uh. So I called, they called me and, hey, you Paco? I go, yeah. 
Oh, this is a St. George Police Department detective, whatever, I forgot his name. Hey, can you come to the police station and uh, I need to question you about this, you know, this certain issue? And I was like, all right. I was like, okay, I'll be right there, uh, like around 4.30. And, you know, and I'm, I'm still using, so I was like... So tweaker time, you got there at like 8 o'clock that night. Yeah, and two months <laughs> later. <laughs> right? Listen, I'm not, I, uh, maybe it's a bad joke, but people that are on methamphetamines can never get anywhere on time. They get stuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I wasn't going to show up either way. For sure. Right? <laughs> Catch me if you can. I get it. You know, so it, um, I was working with, uh, with my boss, the new guy, you know, I've been with him like six years now, since 2017. Okay. But and with him, I've been on and off, you know. But he doesn't know. He never knew anything about me being under the influence or doing right, any drugs. Right, right. So you know, I kind of played it off pretty good to him. Mm. Yeah, you because know, he's a normie. Right. He didn't know the signs. You know, and uh, yeah. So either way, I get a I get arrested like a month later at the hotel or at the Ramada. I was coming back from uh, the store. I was, had some chips in my hand and running my bag. I was like, oh man, all right, time to roll it up now. Mm. You know. So good thing, you know, out of that, that was like a, a blessing in disguise, you know. Uh, How so? Because they offered me uh, drug court. Now, here's the recovery Paco coming out. Did you hear yeah. that? It's a blessing. Okay, keep going, buddy. You know, uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I really, I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I, you know, I've changed, you know. I don't know how I'm going to do if I change. It's uncomfortable. You're not used to it. Yeah, and. I never, you know, I never thought anything about, about drugs, but now that I got clean, you know, yeah, I had to be, like you said, be outgoing and try to, I just followed the rules, you know, I said, you know what, it's my last chance. I don't want to be dead. So at this point they gave you drug court, right? Yeah. Instead of like a prison sentence or a lengthy sentence. Well, they had a, well, everything they were piling up, they said, oh, I'll give you 10 years in prison or do drug court. Right. And I was like, well... I don't know if I give you 10 years, I'll do drug court, you know, and then mm. in my head, I'll think, okay, I'll probably, as soon as I graduate, I'll go back to doing dope. Sure. Because at the time, our brains are scrambled eggs. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to sit there, listen, go pee for them, do everything right. And, you know, then somebody said, you know, a seed got planted in me, you know, mm, yeah. hitting meetings and, you know. So where'd you go to treatment at? Uh, I went to treatment in purgatory. Okay. No. Cool. <laughs> Oh, it was just jail. You didn't, yeah. When you got out, you didn't have to do any services anywhere, any substance abuse services while you were in drug court? Uh, no, everything, all the services were in drug court. So you go was to- it through Southwest Behavioral Health? Yeah. I see. Okay, so that was the agency. Yeah. Yeah, so, county agency. Yeah, so drug court, they went and assessed me over at the jail. They're like, oh, we're going to see if you qualify. So, and they finally checked, okay, I qualified, so they let me in. Cool. And, uh, you know, it's funny because when- when I, first, when I first got out of jail, my wife was with me. We both got out the same day. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, we had the sergeant say, you know what? I gave her one last kiss. I, didn't, I had no contact with her and for like almost 18 months. But, you know, you know, I still talk to her here and there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people don't know that, right? When you're in, when you're in drug court, you can't, they call it association. You yeah. can't associate with other people that are in, in drug court as well. So you guys kind of had to, like, that was tough, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I was still codependent. And sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, I, when we first got our first car, we took a picture and the dealership, you know, was Second Chance Auto. Yeah. They right post, there on Bluff? Yeah, they Heck posted yeah. it on their webpage. And then, you know, at the time I had my sponsor, saw he started cracking up. He said, hey, don't you have a, he told me, don't you have a, what's it called? No a, contact order? Yeah, I was like, oh, shoot. I called, the com <laughs> I called, I called the- Second Chance Auto? The car dealership. Hey, man, can you take that off? You know, uh, I'm going to go to jail. Man. So they took it off really quick. Oh, dude, that guy was fast. Crazy, Paco, crazy. Yeah. And there's still unmanageability going on around that time still. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's funny, right? Like we think when we take the substances away that like all of a sudden we got our poop in a group. That's not the case. Like there, oh, you no. still have the behaviors. You still have the thinking errors. You still have that. It takes a minute, man. It takes a minute for the whole cognition, the whole frontal cortex to come back online. You know, and you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes, you know, there's times where I, I get a little upset, but you know, not like before, you know, I'll just walk away before I, oh, I'm going to beat this guy up. Right. You learn some coping skills. Or, or he's going to beat me up <laughs> one right, or the right. other. It's going down either way. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, 
a big part of your, so, so I know that in like drug court, you, you're doing services through Southwest Behavioral Health. Did you have to go to their building and all that? Yeah, I had to do everything there. And then we UA'd over at the, it was the courthouse. Now they moved it over by the old detention. Got you. So a part of that too is uh, fellowships. Did you have to do like a meeting card, attend fellowship meetings? Uh, yeah, actually, you know, when I got out, I got into uh, sober living, you know, I went into... Uh, what sober living? It was uh, for Access Foundation. My, one of Keenan's properties? Yeah. Man, what a good dude. Yeah, so that guy's awesome. Uh, I had a resentment towards the towards him the first day because, you know, I... Towards Mike? No, not him. It was just towards the guys at the house because oh, they didn't okay. let me in and I had no place to go. Oh, yeah, because you got to get voted in. Yeah, well, I thought I was going into the rent a room. Right. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, me in right. my head, I was like, okay, there's a room for rent, you know, maybe for myself, or me, if I have a roommate, whatever. <laughs> I didn't know, that, you know, they told me sit in the middle, and I was like, what's going on here? You know, all these guys come out and start talking, asking questions, like they're interrogating me yeah. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, I, bet that was cri- I bet that was quite the experience. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, well, I didn't know anything about recovery, so right. I didn't, you know, this was, it was a whole game changer for me. So, uh, yeah, so I ended up, you know, talking to the guys, telling them my story, this and that. And they're, okay, yeah, you're in. You know, you had to go outside. They voted, you know, did all these things, weird things at the time. I thought it was weird. Right. So, yeah. But, so, but if you think about it today, it makes total sense, right? Because yeah. part of those sober living houses, if I can just geek out for a sec, is like, that's where they live, man. Right? And so they need a say in who comes and who goes. It's yeah. kind of like its own little cool little community in a way because... You know, if it was just about the money, which, first of all, the sober living houses, I mean, you're paying next to nothing to stay there, right? So it's not yeah. really about that. In those communities, everybody gets to vote based on kind of how serious they think you are. Because if they let somebody in that's going to run amok or bring drugs around or bring alcohol around, it's going to affect their recovery. So it is kind of cool when you think about it. Like, everybody in the place gets a vote. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't look at it that way at that time. But I, you know, when I went outside, came back in there, oh, you wrote it in. And and uh, at the time, it was a house manager tells me, hey, you know, uh, well, you can't stay here, but come back tomorrow and see what you can do. And so I took off on my bike, a little upset, but I needed a place to crash. Like, man, I can't go to the street mm-hmm. and I can't go to the old house because if I go there, I'm going to, you know, violate. Right. And, you know, and, you know, my thoughts of using, I was just going to give up, you know, because that's what you get into. You know, you start you're like, oh, man, nobody's going to give me a chance anywhere. I just, you know, this sucks. A desperation. Yeah. So finally I called my mom and she got me a room and it was weird. She got me a room over at the Sands where I used to use a lot too. But you know what? I hold my guns and I just stayed there. I didn't do nothing. The next day I went to court support service. They helped me out. You know, you Lisa Good at the time was working at Southwest. She gave me a referee, reference. Referral. Yeah. Yeah. Referral. And, uh, they hooked me up with some money to move into Mike's sober living. So it was bad. It was way cool. Isn't that, the, oh man, Paco, that's crazy, right? Like yeah. you get frustrated, you get annoyed at the process, you're not familiar with it, you don't know what's going on, you know, you have all these, right? Because you're in a stressed out in an emotional place. Listen, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you need a safe place to sleep, you need food, you need shelter, right? Like that's basic stuff. And because you didn't have that, you came super close to right. relapsing and just throwing it all away. That 10 year prison sentence was just right there. You came so close, you know, but you uh, didn't. You know, I play, I I learned playing the tape, you know, so Played and that was like through? the yeah. Well, in jail, some guys said, "Hey, well, think about it this time." You know, you don't you don't want to come back here. And I was like, oh, I don't want to come back here no more. You know, in and out sucks. You know. Did you know that's my number one favorite coping skill? Play the tape through. No yeah. matter what you're going through, if you think about okay, if I use today, what's I going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and the next week, and the next month, and the next six months, and the next year, right? We're either on an upward spiral or we're on a downward spiral. We got about two minutes left here, Paco. When did you complete drug court? Uh, 2020, I think. Okay. You know, uh, and, and it was great. So, so about three years ago. And you said at the time when you first pled in, you were like, oh, I'm just going to do this and then I'm going to just, you know, go back to doing what I was doing. So here's my golden question for you. Why didn't you, man? You're sitting here three years after you completed clean today, married to a beautiful wife. Why? Why didn't you just go back? 
I don't know. I just, I didn't want to go back to that lifestyle. Mm. You know, I think, you know, now I got a lot of positive things going on, you know. I, me and my wife go to church. We do all these things. We got recovery revival. Got my sponsor. I went to the convention, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome. You know, just life is better. And, you know, this town, I couldn't have, I couldn't have been arrested in a better town than here. You know what I mean? Yeah, the recovery uh, community in St. George, Utah is phenomenal. Right? You know, and if I were got arrested in Cali, I would be doing the same thing. You know, you guys show me love here in St. George. Man. And that's why I'm not leaving. That's so cool, Paco. I, man, I my heart's so full of gratitude. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story because it is. It's true, right? Like, I think a lot of us, when we get a little nudge from the judge, you know, a little, a little uh, motivation from the judicial system to seek out services... Oftentimes I was in the same mind frame you were like, I'll do this until I'll comply until I have my own will back choice back, but I didn't either. And I think it's because of a lot of what you said, my life got better. I didn't want to anymore. I dealt with the stuff that made me want to use in the first place. I kind of took away all that. It sounds like that's the truth for you too. Yeah. It's cool, man. Yeah. My higher power is with me all the time. You know, God's never let go of me. You know, he's kept me alive for a reason. And maybe, I think this is a reason. You know, people need to see what I've done. You know, maybe the, so they won't make the same mistake. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Powerful. All right. What message are you going to leave our, our listeners with today as we wrap up episode 125? Well, you know, if I, if I could come out of, out of a meat fridge and, you know, and, and you know, have, a, have the life I have now without, you know, drugs or alcohol, you know, this is a place... You can too, right? It, it yeah. is a beautiful transformation, man. Thank you for sharing your transformation with us, Paco. Thank you, Jared. It was an honor. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of its sponsors. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.